Welcome to Andrew Young Center at Morehouse College, More Conversation Podcast. My name is Chance Gladney. I am a senior in biology major, minoring in neuroscience from Columbus, Georgia, and I have the privilege to introduce Senator Burris. Senator Ronald Burris is an American politician and attorney who is a former United States Senator from the state of Illinois and a member of the Democratic Party. In 1963, Senator Burris started his career as a National Bank Examiner of the, U- of the U.S. Treasury Department. This opportunity gave him the honor to become the first African-American to examine banks in the United States. From 1964 to 1973, Senator Burris served as Vice President of Continental Illinois National Bank, making a huge impact in both the corporate and African-American communities. Afterwards, Burris served as the director of the Illinois Department of General Services. Then Burris became the first African-American elected to statewide office in Illinois when he was elected Illinois Comptroller in 1978. He served that position until 1990, when he then served as Illinois Attorney General, serving from 1991 to 1995, where he supervised over 500 lawyers. Senator Boris was appointed Senator Chair in 2009, fulfilling the seat of the former Senator Barack Obama. During President Barack Obama's term, Burris was the only Black Senate in term from 2009 to 2011, making him become the sixth African-American to serve in the United States Senate. Burris served on the Armed Services, Homeland Security, and Governmental Affairs and Veterans Affairs Committees. In the Senate, Burris supported President Obama's legislative agenda, including economic stimulus legislation and the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Before Senator Burris did such achievements, he obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale in 1959. Afterwards, Dr. Burris did a year in exchange program to study international law at the University of Hamburg in Germany before obtaining his Juris Doctor degree from Howard University School of Law in 1963. Dr. Burris is a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporation, where he is now married to lovely Berlin Burris and is the father of two wonderful children, Rolanda Burris and Rolanda Burris II. I welcome you, Senator Burris. Thank you very much, Chance. You presented that introduction just like I told you. and. Uh, <laughs> Therefore, I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. You know, I brought you here on this podcast today because this conversation we're going to have is centered around history and voting so that people, especially the youth, should not take their privilege and right for voting for granted. And I just want to, we just want to hear your experience on what you have to endure that period. Um, you? I'm sorry. Uh, I just said, this is that fine with you to talk about the history and voting your experience? Oh, absolutely. This is the time to talk about it, Chance. And, and I just hope that your young people will recognize the power and the influence that they can have if they would only feel the commitment to go to the polls and vote. But our 18 to 25-year-olders uh, just don't see the necessity in big numbers. And I think the highest percentage that I've really heard of that, of that age group going to vote is something like 20 to 25 percent. And we want to really, really 
inspire you all to come out and vote because this is your country. This is your land. This is your state. You're going to inherit this and you can help set the policies and the uh, map and the and the uh, actions for the future. So please talk to your colleagues, Chance. Tell them, vote, vote, vote like your life depended on it. Every day. Tell them every day. You got your ballot. You're going in. What you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's because I've, I've did something for the first time because I never missed a, a day voting. But I, because of being a senior and all the, uh, the virus uh, floating around out there, I voted uh, by mail for the first time. And, of course, you know how old I am. I mean, elections <laughs> I voted for. But I think my first presidential election was in 19, was it 19, oh, gosh, I had to think back. Uh, it was the Kennedy, Kennedy-Nixon uh, battle in 1960, uh, which mm-hmm. would be some, what, 60 years ago? So, uh, and have not missed an election day. I remember when my father was very ill, and it was in November 1972, and my um, a friend was running for governor here in Illinois. I was in the banking business at that time, Chance, and of course, I got a call from my sister because we were born and raised in downstate Illinois, a community by the name of Centralia, and I'm living in Chicago, and my sister called me. Um, that night, on a Monday night, about midnight, and said, Dad is not doing well, and you got to you know, get here uh, as soon as you can because she thinks he's going to pass. So I told my sister, I said, now, I cannot leave Chicago until after 6 o'clock. That's when the polls open in Chicago, and I must go cast my vote uh, you know, during this 1972 election. And as soon as I cast my vote, says I will be on the highway on my way to see my dad. I could not do anything for my dad in this health situation other than to show up, Chance. But I could do something by voting. That's how serious, how seriously I take voting, and it is really a major a part of your of your day to day activities in your life. Yes. Wow. And wait till after the poll opens so you can cash your vote and then go check on your father because this is serious. This is serious and it should be taken seriously because who we lay in office is what who go pass down the laws and legislation we have to follow. And then, by the way, I did get down in time to see dad and uh, he, he, he passed the, the following day. So I did get down to see my dad before he passed in 1972. But uh, voting is serious. Sorry to hear that. You know, thank you for your honesty. The first question I have is like, you know, the civil rights movement is a historical event that made a significant impact to the black community. How did you partake in the civil rights movement? Well, naturally I was a, a um, should I say a, a person who benefits substantially by the civil rights movement, the actions of Dr. King and all those individuals who were doing the marching. I was, (laughs) as a matter of fact, I was a student at the University of Hamburg in Germany in 1959 
And uh, there was a situation that happened in the United States and Khrushchev and Russia, I think it's shut down uh, the uh, spy plane with powers in it. And I led a protest at the University of Hamburg in Germany, protesting Khrushchev walking out of the conference on, on President Eisenhower. Uh, and, and, and I had about, uh, about it was almost a thousand students and, and I was the only black in the crowd that led this whole uh, uh, protest, uh, um, uh, you know, against the uh, ac action. So I was involved, and of course I was reading about the uh, protests that was taking place and the lunch counters and things in 1960. I didn't come home until late August of 1960 from Germany. And then, of course, I then entered Howard Law School. And you know, that is the bastion of, of the legal minds for civil rights. And my dean at that time was Spotswood Robinson, who was the lawyer who drafted the brief for Brown versus the Board of Education and then was a, you know, a co-counsel with Thurgood Marshall in arguing that case. So I had a great deal of, of invo involvement uh, in the civil rights movement by being at Howard Law School. That's where they would the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund lawyers would come and use our moot courtroom in the 60s to uh, practice their cases before the United States Supreme Court. And in my jobs, I was able one time to run off the, the briefs from the mimeograph machine that they had prepared to file you know, in the, in the U.S. Supreme Court. So I had a lot of, got to meet Thurgood Marshall and, and Constantine Motley and, and, and Jack Greenberg and and of course, our dean was, you know, was a part of all that because Spotswood Robinson came with us in 1960 as dean of Howard Law School, and he left in 1963 when we graduated. So I was, you know, very closely involved to the brain trust as a young, you know, whippersnapper running around with them as they were putting together these cases to fight the battles for our rights. Wow! So you, you made a movement in Germany. You you led a protest. Yes, out of the country. You know, you, you know, what was their response to you following you? You being the leader of the protest. You know, them hearing about the civil rights movement in America. Well, well, they uh, were certainly uh, for some reason they had a black American who could speak their language, who was attending their university. And, you know, and of course, the, um, I was in, at that time, Germany was divided into four sectors. Of course, I was in West Germany, you know, and, and well, actually it was East and West. We had the British and the French and the American sector, and then they had a Russian sector, which was the East Germany. And so I had, uh, uh, you know, made a lot of contacts, a lot of friends, and, and uh, decided, talking to a couple of them, that, you know, this is something that we got to protest. And, and, as, and as you saw during the uh, Floyd uh, murder in, in uh, Minneapolis, uh, how the foreign countries were protesting, you know, the police killing of George Floyd. Well, you know, the word came over into Germany about the protests in America. And then when that plane was shot down, I just combined that uh, protest against Khrushchev and the protest was taking place at the lunch counters in Greenville, 
was a Greenville, South Carolina, I think it was, or North Carolina, one of them, and uh, and just you know got motivated, start speaking. People came around and they said, "Let's march." And we we marched. <laughs> uh, wow, that's that's impactful. You know, being a leader, you know, representing your your country in another country, showing us it shows how important you know how magnet how significant it is the attention it needs for the world to see. You know, back then, you know, discrimination towards race was expected in America. You know, fighting for our civil rights. Have you had any troubles you had to endure to go to secure our rights? Chance, I am got health issues today and the Lord has allowed me to live this long but my body is, is, is tired and weary because of all the pressure that I had for all of the battles that I had to overcome. I was born and raised in a small community in Southern Illinois where there, you know, race was a major factor. Um, we went to the all blacks had to go to, to the one elementary school, but we all met up at the same high school. And of course the high school was integrated and we were very good in academics and in sports, you know, for example, I was able to win a scholarship after about four years of high school to Southern Illinois University. It was a scholastic scholarship. And so uh, I was, you know, fighting all those battles, overcoming all those obstacles placed strictly uh, upon us because of race. And I recall my first attendance to Southern Illinois University, which is 65 miles south of my hometown. My hometown was Centralia, Illinois, and the university is located in Carpendale. We just take the Illinois Central train 65 miles south, and you hit Carpendale. Well, five of us uh, uh, football players went down to uh, go out for the football team at SIU. We had this great football team in, in Centralia. Well, in four years, we only lost two football games. <laughs> two of them to both games to East St. Louis. But I spent four years in, as a football player and only lost two football games. My first freshman and sophomore year didn't lose a game. The game was junior and senior year. Last game, last game of each season, we lost to East St. Louis. <laughs> but um, we went to Carpendale, and the five of us, and we were in meeting with the new coach. The coach had just come in, too, uh, from another city. And it was about 11 o'clock in the afternoon, in the morning, and we decided we were going to go get lunch. Well, Chance, the new coach, opened up the drawer and pulled out a piece of paper, and he said, okay, here's where the coloreds can eat in Carpendale. He said, what? Now, we, we were from Centralia. We could eat anywhere we want to in Centralia. But this is what happened on our first day at SIU. They told us you got four places where you can go and eat. And we said, no, 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 we can't take this. Five of us got ready to go back to Centralia. The church said, no, no, get your lunch, but we're going to feed you all in the dormitory from here on out. So so we sucked that up. But then I led in my senior year, I led a whole uh, movement to integrate the city of Carpendale without any type of, of a confrontation. For example, you read in the resume that I was an alpha man. Well, I'd become president of 
of Beta Eta chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, and we were going to celebrate our 25th uh, anniversary as a chapter. And so this is in 1958, and I started to make the plans. Well, we were going to invite all our brothers down from other cities, but you couldn't stay in a hotel in Carbondale. Blacks could not live in hotels. And so therefore, we they had to stay in families. So I went to the president of the university to say, look, we're inviting all our uh, guests down from St. Louis and from Chicago. They have no place to stay, Mr. President. And the lawyer up at the university was in the meeting with us. And the uh, president spoke up and said, well, you know, Burris, I don't have any evidence of that. What, what, what evidence do you have? I said, well, you know, we can't go. He says, well, you know, we, we need some evidence. That led me then to put together another movement where I took my Alpha brothers, and unfortunately I had some uh, Jewish uh, classmates and friends, and we set up a whole plan for the city of Carpendale, Chance. The plan was that the Jewish uh, fellows would go in, they were white, into the restaurant, find a table, make sure there was a table, empty table close to them. And then the four or five of us blacks would come into the restaurant. And they would come up, you know, and the waiter would come up and say, we can't serve you. You all have to leave. You got to go. Well, what I was doing was building a case. And the, and the witnesses were these Jewish students. So we did that at hotels. We did that at restaurants. We did that in trying to try on clothes into a, 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 a clothing store. And we did put all this together. And about um, two or three months later, I had a whole documentation of what was said on dates and times, called another meeting with the president of the university, went back and presented this package to him. He and the lawyer about fell out. He could not believe what we had experienced during the uh, two or three months that we had you know, been out testing the waters in Carbondale. So what he did told me, this now we're getting close to April of 1959, when we were due to celebrate the 25th anniversary. The anniversary came off, the city was not integrated. Some of our guests came down and they did stay in families, stay with families or they couldn't stay in hotels. So we then uh, presented this document to Dr. Morris and, and the attorney. And then he says, okay, what we're gonna do, uh, uh, Roland, is we're going to call a meeting with the Chamber of Commerce of Carbondale. The president, this must have been about May of, of 1959, just before graduation. He called the meeting of Chamber of Commerce and invited me and a couple of my committee members, Frat Brothers, to be at the meeting. One of this meeting chance, there were about 25, you know, nothing but white men. And the president of the chamber, he got up and spoke and said, we got Dr. Morris here from SIU and he wants us to discuss you know, a matter with us and turn the meeting over to Dr. Morris. The president got made his greetings, got up and made the statement. He said, you know, there has to be a, a unity between the, 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 the commerce of Carbondale and the students at the university. And we are one family and we have to live and work all together. And then he began to read from my report of what happened when blacks tried to eat at a restaurant or try to get a room at a hotel 
or tried to tie on some clothes at a at a business where they wouldn't even, you know, let us try clothes. But anyway, make a long story short. From that meeting on, Dr. Morris wrapped it up. The, you could just see the blood running from these businessmen's face as we documented all of this to them. And I then graduated. And it wasn't until I was over in Europe, I got a letter from one of my brothers, sent me a letter in September of, of, of 19, when the new school started. Everything in Carbondale had opened up, all the hotels, all of the restaurants, and only one refused to serve blacks in the city. And that was a place we called the rat hole, and we let them stay the rat hole. So, <laughs> So that was that's how I was involved in that civil rights movement, and it was a really a a takeoff from what our frat brother he's now deceased, but you might have heard of this name, Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory, who was a comedian and as a track star, in fifty one and fifty two, he was a student down at SIU, and he had integrated uh, the, the movie theater. That's all a lot of blacks could sit up in the balcony of, of the theater in Carbondale. But then um, I carried on from what you know, Brother Gregory had done. But I, we made that move, Johns, without any demonstrations, without any controversy, and the business people of Carbondale opened. That's how the university, you know, broke. How we broke down segregation at our university's community. Wow! Wow! You went through a lot, man. <laughs> you know, I, I respect you know. Back in the day, race discrimination was heavy, you know, for you had to go to a new environment, you know, you came from a town where, you know, you could eat anywhere, you know, going to school, playing football, and now you have to adapt to, like, only four places, like, like a downgrade. You're like, you're like, no, 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 no. But I just want to get a last touch with you. Like, when was the first time you were able to vote in America? And how did it feel? It was uh, the Kennedy-Nixon election in 1960. Uh, I, during my young days, I was a member of the Young Republican Party because that's what my parents were. My dad was kind of active in Centralia in politics. He had run for precinct committeeman uh, in, in, our, in our precinct because he lost the race because he was black. But... Um, I was always interested in politics, and that came about as a result of an incident in my own hometown, and that's dealing with the swimming pool. We had a beautiful uh, pool in our uh, park, and blacks could not swim in the pool. That pool was built in 1937 during the uh, construction from uh, the Depression, and they had built the swimming pool. Blacks were not allowed. We had to swim where they go fishing, or they had the water the pigs and the cows, we call the pig wobble, or the brewer. That's where blacks had to go swim. And we had tried in 1951 to uh, buy tickets to go swimming, and they wouldn't sell them the tickets. Uh, they tried in 1952 uh, to, 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 just to swim in the pool. And then my dad, who was the vice president of the NAACP, and his pastor, Reverend Starks decided in 1953 that we were going to integrate this pool. So while they thought that if we're going to go do this, we're going to have to have a lawyer. 
So my dad, who worked for Illinois Central, traveled up to Chicago to try to find a lawyer that would represent us, and no lawyer would come down to Centralia. So he then returned home. The following day, he went over to East St. Louis, Illinois, and there he retained a lawyer, gave a lawyer at that time chance $100. This is 1953. $100 was more than a month's salary for my dad because we were making 35 cents an hour. And so dad gave the retainer, Memorial Day 1953, the five of us piled into the back of Reverend Stock's car, my brother and the three brothers from the Lawson boys heading out to the pool. To make this long story short, we were able to, 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 to buy a ticket. They sold us a ticket. We went out, took our shower and went out onto the back of the pool Chancey was lying, white folks just lined up to see whether or not these little black boys were going to be able to swim. And so I looked at that high diving board <laughs> in that pool, said, hey, I can deal with that. Chance I went up that board, checked it out, great spring, took the beautiful swan dive you ever want to see right into that pretty blue water. You know, was, wow, we're now swimming. Came up about it and said, hey, that water ain't blue. The bottom of the pool was painted blue, so we 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 always wanted to swim in the blue water. <laughs> and as we discovered that the, that the pool was painted blue, but we integrated the pool. Now this is the issue. After all of that, we were home in our house celebrating. No incident. No you know name calling. White folks just watched us swim. We're home, and my dad was gone, and then he came back. Couldn't figure out where he had gone. He went out looking for the lawyer. Chance, the lawyer that my dad hired did not show up. My father was furious. And this is what he said. I was 15 years old. This is what he said. Son, if we as a race of people are going to get anywhere, you're going to have lawyers and elected officials who are responsible and responsive. Chance, my dad never told me to be a lawyer. My dad never told me to be a statewide elected official of Illinois. But from that incident, I set two goals. One goal was to be a lawyer, which I did in 1963. Another goal was to become a statewide elected official of the state of Illinois, which I did in 1978. So that lets you know what the civil rights movement and the whole actions, uh, and of course, running statewide in Illinois as a black person put a lot of strain on me, threats on my life. You know, it was all types of you know situations that I had to deal with because of race. Right. Wow, this has been a great conversation, Senator Burris. You know, this is the time, you know, to wrap things up. And I just want them, and you know, as an 83 year old, you know, you've been through so much, you're doing so much for the black community and you still have not given up. I want you to talk about the project you're doing currently about <laughs> reparations for descendant slaves? Chance, you know, I retired from my law practice. I'm home trying to relax and enjoy the rest of the few days I got in my life. And my mind would not let me rest. Because back about five or six years ago, I started on a project that would uh, have to pay reparations for those descendants of slaves. So it's kept going over and over, and finally I said, okay, I have to now at least try. And I'm putting together a not-for-profit corporation. 
that will uh, set up a whole corporate structure that will seek to compensate the descendants, those individuals who did not have anything to receive from their ancestors because their ancestors gave all that free labor, all that free time and, and, and commitment, did not get a dime for their time. So therefore, that was what we're seeking to do to repair the generations. And my proposal would not give you 40 acres and a mule. My proposal will not give you a check so you can go out and give it right back to the man. My proposal has a whole structure where if you are dealing in housing, you're dealing in education, you're dealing in employment, economic development, or jobs, or you're dealing in healthcare, then your application will allow you to be able to apply for a grant, apply for assistance, for instance, to pay tuition, to pay off student loans. You can, by the way, you got any student loans in Morehouse there? Are you still? <laughs> oh, <laughs> looking one right now. When 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 is uh, gonna be uh, released? No, and we can do this. We we will trace. We will we will have what we call the the uh, uh, the ability to trace your ancestry, and we will go back and and if all the ancestors, do you know how many great grandfathers you have, great grandmothers you have? How many do you have? Just the great grandmothers. Great-grandmothers? Four. four? I don't know. Four, I never met And four great-grandfathers. So you got two parents, Chance. Okay, two parents, right? And back and back, four, yes. Four, four grandparents, right? Four yes, grandparents. sir. Eight great-grandparents. 16 great-great-grandparents. 32 great-great-great-grandparents, okay? It go all the way up. Right. And we trace your ancestry back. If any one of those persons can be identified as being in a slave environment from you know 16, 1619 to eighteen uh, sixty five, you will be entitled to assistance from the reparations fund. You'll be entitled to grants for education to pay your tuition, healthcare to pay your hospital bill and will give you that type of financial assistance. But I'm trying to do this and I'm going to raise billions of dollars you know, from the corporations, from private donations, from the foundations that will then you know, put funds into this so that we can then dispense of what we call reparations to descendants of American slaves. Now, this is only for American slaves, not you know, Haitians, not other blacks from South America. These are those that are descendants from that 1619 out of Africa. Wow. So that's the program, and, and I'm working on it right now, and, and I'm only through the grace of God will, will I be able to pull all this off. Uh, and if not, it was because I didn't try, Chance. And at my age, I should be somewhere trying to rest, but the Lord would let me rest. He put this on my heart, and I'm going to try to do it. And I hope that you got some friends out there who, Who's rich? You can start help me fund this thing. We'll we'll be, we'll be give some repair to some of our descendants. Well, that's real nice. That's really nice, Senator. Yeah, that's a great proposal, and I pray that it would. You know, well, it's time to close out this first podcast of more conversation. You know, thank you for your time for your conversation. I've been 
filled with knowledge. You gave me great in de details of what you experienced or how you respond to situations in America. You know, my name is Chance Gladney, and this has been the More Conversations podcast with Senator Burris at Morehouse Andrew Youngson. Thank you for watching. Thank you.